On this edition of the Scott Radley Show podcast, we are talking about the third wave of COVID. Yes, the third wave hasn't arrived yet, but apparently it's going to, or at least that's what we're told. We're going to be talking about March break, now April break. Good idea or bad idea or something in between? And we're going to ask the question, what should fans at sports events be allowed to do these days? How far should they be able to go? We're going to we're following up the story of Courtside Karen. And if you don't know who Courtside Karen is, stick around. You'll find out. Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. We have, as you well, well know, I mean, unless you are a newborn who is listening to us, in which case, hey, welcome aboard and impressive that you're with us. But unless you are that, you are very aware that we've been through the first wave, the introductory wave of COVID. And as we were in that first wave, we didn't even know it was the first wave at the time. It was just COVID then. We were warned, you know, in time, things are going to drop off a bit. We're going to get this a little bit under control. But a second wave is coming. It's just waiting on the horizon. And guess what? The experts who told us that were right. Well, they also told us something else when they were warning us about the second wave. Many of them said, oh, by the way, the second wave is going to be worse than the first one. And you know what? They were right again. Well, now we have a bunch of experts, many of the same ones, saying, brace yourself for this one, a third wave is looming. Some say by April, maybe a little before, maybe a little later. And guess what else they're saying? It's going to be worse even than wave number two. At least that's what a lot of them are saying. Dr. Ahmad Firas Khalid is a health policy expert. We love having him on the show. We we bring him on here every time we need to talk about these complicated and, quite frankly, not all that fun things. We're getting a little tired of this whole COVID thing. I get it. But, Dr. Khalid, I always appreciate you coming on and chatting with us. Thanks, Scott. I'm happy to be with you. And I wish that I was present at more happier times. Well, you know, I mean, it is what it is. And, and, and it's not fun. And nobody is happy about this. But it's the world we're living in right now. And I wonder... When you hear this, I mean, you, you work in this world, you work in this field. Do you share those concerns? Do you believe that a third wave is out there? I mean, yes, because, I, you know, we, like you said earlier in the show, we warned about the fact that the second wave was happening and it happened. And now we're saying, given the evidence that we, you know, we're presented with, a third wave is imminent. And just to explain to the public why we think a third wave might happen is that if we release the stay-at-home orders and we don't have aggressive vaccination plan in place, the new variants that we already know exist in our communities is going to cause a rapid increase in the number of cases. So as more people leave their homes, socially interact outside their home settings, without a vaccine in place or an aggressive vaccination plan, we will see a third wave happening. You just, you gave three things there, three elements mm-hmm. in what could cause it. The va- the variants, the vaccines, and the lockdowns being lifted. Could any one of those things, if we were to keep it in play or boost it, could any one of those things change or stop the third wave? Or do we need to have all three of those things in place to stop it? Based on the evidence that we have so far, and this is the beauty of being able to talk about COVID-19 now, as opposed to when you and I were talking about this a year ago. A year Mm. ago, we didn't have the evidence that could really back up a lot of things. You know, a lot of things is based on previous experiences with other pandemics, on what we knew on like sort of day-by-day basis. Right now, we know from what we've seen this past year that the public health measures, which is stay-at-home orders, you know, urging everybody to work from home, to not socially, socially distance at all times, to wear a face mask, we actually have the evidence to back it up to say that COVID-19 case counts has reduced, 
hospitalization numbers have reduced and positive rates across the province has went down. So the fact that we know that gives us hope that in the meantime, while we still don't have a clear idea and an aggressive vaccination plan, our best hope for all of us at the moment is to really maintain a stay-at-home order. Do you believe, and, and you know what's happening here, I mean, the vaccines seem to be falling behind, the stay-at-home people are getting very antsy. With all the stuff that you see, do you believe that a third wave then, pick your word here, which one you think, possible, probable, or inevitable? Possible. And let me say why. I, I mean, I say it's possible. I don't want to say it's inevitable because I have faith in in our collective ability to understand the severity of the problem. You can call me naive for it, but I, I still have that faith that people, when it comes down to tough times, realize that this is not a joke. I mean, the pandemic is, is we're living through it. We all know the severity of it to a certain extent. Some of us choose not to trust the evidence uh, and, and, you know, fall into the conspiracy theories and that they're, you know, they have the right to do so on their own. But the majority of us, from what we know from census and taking polls and surveys, do believe that COVID-19 pandemic is exceptionally serious and that the measures that we, you know, the government and public health experts are putting in place are to be taken seriously. And therefore, I say it's not, you know, it's not that it's 100% going to happen. I believe if we continue being aggressive, and I saw it with the second wave, Scott, I saw that when people, uh, you know, really understood the severity of the problem, start staying at home, even in my just immediate circle of friends, I noticed people stopped socially interacting, stopped even trying to sort of bend the rules a little bit, you know, just push it a little bit. They stopped doing that, you know, people who I, you know, usually would do that. So I think what I'm trying to say here is that, you know, knowing what we know about the new variant strains, which the media is doing an excellent job communicating that the public that the variant strains are out there now. I think we all realize that this is really a serious time and we don't want those variant strains to take on a much stronger, you know, hold on our communities because we would be having a much different conversation then. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. You talked about the lockdowns and how staying away from people could certainly help. The other two things that you mentioned as factors in this, let's go through them. Variants, obviously this is now a big, big deal here. We've got a variant from the UK. We've got one from South Africa. We've got one from Brazil. We've got one from Japan. We may have others I don't even know about. Is there any reason to believe we won't continue to get more and more of them? There's no reason to believe that we won't get more of them. I will add to the list of things that we could do is also paid sick leave. I don't want to neglect that from our conversation today. I think that's also important that a lot of people are urging the government to think carefully about in- increasing the paid sick leave for people so they're able to stay home if they think they're sick or they are sick and not suffer financial consequences from it. As, as a, for the variants, uh, we know that they exist right now in our communities. And I think that's why the government, the federal government, went forward with the travel restrictions and, and the hotels and the quarantine. We're yet we're hearing reports that that's not been really, uh, you know, sorted out yet. And that needs to be sorted out earlier. And this goes back to my, my point. You know, there are things that we are learning from this pandemic, one of which that, you know, aggressive approach to how we deal with it pays off in the long term. I mean, we're getting images from New Zealand today of them having the prime minister having barbecues outside. And we look at them and we say, well, why were they able to do it and not us? That's because they were very aggressive early on. And they're an island, but the aggressive part too. (laughs) Um, All right. So in addition to the strains, we, we know that the vaccines have rolled out very slowly. But in addition to the slow pace of it, there's also now a lot of people having some concerns and confusion because they say, well, listen, every year when I go to get my flu shot, 
it's a slightly different flu vaccine because they're guessing or working on what the strain is from that year. And if we apply that, then is there any reason again to think that, wait a second, if we're having different strains of this, are the vaccines that we're getting even going to cover all the ones that we're dealing with now? The early reports from people who got vaccinated by Pfizer and Moderna are indicating that if you get infected by one of the strains, which is possible, we are hearing reports that people who have been vaccinated uh, can possibly get reinfected with the variant. However, what we're learning so far, and again, we're still learning, there's no conclusive evidence on this, is that it's not as severe. So the message to me and you and everybody else is that, you know, the goal here is to get the vaccine, period, and then worry less about the strain and the vaccine effectiveness on it. Because the scientists are currently working on figuring out whether the vaccine, specifically, we know that Moderna and Pfizer seem to be working against the majority of the strains. What is still a question is the AstraZeneca vaccine, whether it actually works against the variants. There's uh, reports that it's not as effective. But the bottom line, to make this very simple for all of us, is that any vaccine, any COVID-19 vaccine is doing, you know, it's better than not having a vaccine. So mm. it's giving you some sort of protection against this evil virus. I mean, I can't think of a better word to describe it. Uh, and we let the scientists who are working tirelessly to figure out, do we need a booster? Do we need a new vaccine for, this, for the new strain? In the meantime, we just need to get a vaccine, period. I am sticking with your word of possible as opposed to probable or inevitable, but most of the people that I've read so far have said, okay, if it happens, we're talking about April sometime. That's the best guess that a lot of people are saying when this, because we loosen up the, the lockdowns and everything else. We're talking about the March break, which is now the April break, next segment. If, if, if that's correct, and if the experts are correct, this would be right around the time that kids would be getting out of school and be running around. Is this not, if that, if all those pieces fall into place, is this not a recipe for even further problems? Well, yeah. I mean, if we don't have an aggressive vaccination of plants, all of a sudden we start going out in public and socially interacting with people, not wearing our face masks. Uh, of course, we're, we're, we're inevitable going to have a, a massive disaster on our hands. We know that. But I, the reason why I said that I think I still have hope is that I think for the most part, we do generally believe that, you know, those interventions have worked in the past. Hence why in the second wave, we've seen that the lockdown measures, are, according to the data, worked. Uh, our hospitalization rates have gone down. Our intensive care unit numbers have gone down. Our positivity cases across the provinces after the emergency act was put in place have gone down. So. Those are all signs for anybody out there who's skeptical whether those things work or not, that they do work. So they really, the, 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 I've said it from day one when it came to COVID-19. We need to, as much as possible, follow the science, but also trust that we uh, are accountable to this virus. And what I mean by that is that it takes each and every one of us to really play a very active role in how we get ahead of COVID-19. I think that governments change their opinions about how they want to move forward. Individuals, however, are clear about how to protect themselves, and the evidence is there. If you are not socially interacting out in the communities in large settings, then you're not going to get COVID-19. COVID-19 is not going to somehow magically go into your house unless you allow it because you're not following the intervention. That is easy for people who can work from home, like myself. I empathize with others who cannot, and that's why it's important that the government, this is where leadership plays a factor, that the government steps up and says, okay, people who cannot work from home, who need to go out to sustain a living, to pay the bills that they have to pay every day, we need to provide them paid sick leave. 
And the next thing, we're out of time, unfortunately, but next time we talk, we're going to go from there because there is a second, it's great that we could be in lockdown and we can protect ourselves from the virus, but then you've got the whole other spinoff thing of the mental health and emotional health concerns and burnout and everything else, which I don't know how you solve both problems at the same time by telling everybody stay in and stay by yourself and also be emotionally and mentally healthy. But again, that's a topic that we'll uh, we'll pick up another time. Dr. Ahmad Firas Khalid, always appreciate you coming on here. Thanks for taking the time. Thanks, Scott. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. We try to branch away from COVID at times, but today was just a COVID day with the third wave reports and also with the news this afternoon that the province is not canceling March break as some had feared or hoped. That it's an odd one, isn't it? That you have something that, I don't know if it's half, but a segment of the population absolutely wanted canceled. The other segment absolutely did not want canceled. Kind of that you can't make the people happy situation no matter what happens. Anyway, the government decided, well, you know what? If we can't make the people happy because half of them want the thing to be canceled and half don't want it to be canceled, here, let's throw a curveball. Let's delay it. And so I want to know from you, particularly if you are a parent or a grandparent or an aunt or an uncle or a teacher, if you're a teacher, absolutely, or if you're a student, in other words, anybody, I would love to hear from you if you think the decision that was announced today is a good one. And there are reasons to think that the government announcing that March break will no longer be in March, at least for this year, it's going to be bumped till the week of April the 12th. So essentially a month later. And the idea here being we're trying to get through this wave that we're in. We're trying to not have people going around, especially kids going to other people's houses and stuff. If they got time off, they're probably going to go and go to other people's houses and hang out with each other and do whatever. I mean, they're back at school, but at least they're not going home to home or going to wherever. So the idea was, let's delay this for a month. Let's hope we get the numbers down even further and then we'll see what happens. And I'll tell you one, and by the way, the numbers 905-645-3221 or star 9900. If you want to have your say, whether you think this was a good decision or a bad decision, we would love to hear from you. I'll tell you one thing that I thought was quite clever about this. Again, whether you agree or disagree, I thought there was something quite clever in the announcement today. And that is, we know you're not supposed to travel. We know that. And I'm not even just talking across the border. Obviously, people are probably not going down to Florida or down to the Caribbean or whatever. But you're not even supposed to travel to another city or necessarily or province to province, whatever else. By postponing this rather than canceling it, people still get their March break. Teachers, students still get their March break. But anyone who had travel plans, anyone who really was still thinking about traveling, well, this is now completely ruined the dates on your reservations, you're going to have to cancel. And the likelihood is you may not get in the next time. So clever. I thought it was very clever. It's a way to mollify those who really believe there should be a March break because they people need a mental health break or they need time off or whatever else. But at the same time, not letting them carry on as with some of the plans that some of them may have had. But do you think that this delay, are you in favor of this? Especially if you're a parent, especially if you're a teacher, It's going to be a month later. One of the things we know about vacations 
is, and I, I mean, look, I'm, I'm, I'm right at the top of the list for this. Every year that we have a vacation book, not this year canceled, but every year we have a vacation book. One of the great parts of a vacation is having that date hanging in front of you like a carrot and it's a bauble to run toward. It's something to keep you going. Oh, only another four weeks till I get to go. Only another three weeks. Well, now we've sort of moved the, moved the finish line. And now you've got to look, maybe that's not a bad thing. Or maybe you think it's a terrible thing because you were just getting yourself psyched up for the opportunity to go off. And now, uh, now it's another month away. I can't handle another month. 905-645-3221 or star 9900. I want to hear from you if you think that this is a good idea or a bad idea, whether you're in favor or against the delaying of a March break. Should the whole thing have been canceled? See, there are those. We had Paul Bennett from Schoolhouse Advising, the Canada's probably leading education consultant on the air a week or so ago. You may recall if you were listening. He was not in favor of canceling or in favor of keeping going. What he wanted was an academy of sorts set up for the March break week where people would still be somehow, if not for the full day, you would still be involved with your teacher, still be involved with your school, but it would be a catch up time on areas that you've fallen behind because let's be honest, there are many students. I won't say most, I'll say many, many students who have fallen behind in certain areas because of all the time they've been off school. We started this, this, well, don't forget in the spring, it basically stopped. Some people kept going to school, some not, not going, but checking in and attending online classes, but a lot of others had checked out. In the fall, started late. Last year, we had an extended March break period because of this. A lot of kids have missed a lot of time. So many people are saying, no, this is a good thing that we're not, that we're going through, that we're still going while students are on a roll here. It's good that we're not having a March break right now because they need to keep going. They need to catch up. And a lot of people are saying, and you know what? With all that missed time, probably the teachers can keep going for a while here. I don't know if the teachers are going to agree. If you're a teacher, you can tell me if you agree or disagree. We've heard from teachers that they say, well, you know, we've got a lot of fatigue now because of all the changes we've had to make in our system, all the online stuff, all the prep work, all the now back to school stuff. It's exhausting. I don't doubt that. I don't doubt that. But was it a good idea or a bad idea? Or was this the only bailout today? Was this the only answer that was going to satisfy anybody? 905-645-3221 or star 9900. Give us a call. We're going to take a break and we're going to come back and hear from you. Was this a good idea? Was this making the best of a bad situation or was this a stupid idea that is only now, and we'll talk about this when we come back, but only now going to, if we do have the third wave and if it does arrive in April, as some are saying, it's only going to push March break now into the middle of an even worse time and a worse situation that's going to make sure that this becomes even more complicated. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. It's a weird thing to say, April break. No one's ever said April break before. We are now. March break has been pushed back by a month. April 12 is when students in Ontario are now going to be go on, going on break. We believe, and when I say we believe, that's the plan, but 
as I say, go online. You can listen to the last segment with Dr. Ahmad Firas Khalid. Listen online. Lots of experts cautioning that a third wave is coming and could very well get here in April, which of course would screw everything up and we don't know what happens then. But plans are for March break to be happening in April. Good idea, bad idea, best of a bad situation, stupid. What's your thought on this one? JP is up first. How are you this evening, JP? Hello. Hello. Hey, Scott. Hey, JP. Great. How are you doing? All right. What do you think uh, about this? I got, I got a question. Uh, uh, how many uh, how many kids are getting sick from this disease anyways? Not many that we know of. The numbers are very low, and, and those who do get it are getting a far less horrendous reaction to it from everything we've heard. Yeah, I know. I just kind of wonder, is it is it still okay to question the uh, validity of uh, this whole pandemic? I mean, like, really, I, uh, seriously, how many kids are actually getting sick. I, I ask a lot of people, I, I ask them, I say, do you know anyone that's sick or dying of this disease? And most of the people I talk to uh, really don't know anyone that's young and healthy that's actually sick or dying of this disease. I mean, all the, um, you know, the older people have to be careful. Um, but I, I really just uh, question a lot of this stuff. I mean, I don't know any kids that are really sick of this sick of this disease. Yeah, no, I know where I know what you're saying. I, I think that's part of the reason, JP, that they decided to reopen the schools because the kids were not as likely to get this or to have it very seriously. The fear, and you can agree with this or you can disagree with this, the fear is that kids may not get the sickness as badly, but they can still carry it. And so they go home and give it to mom or dad who gives it to grandma or grandpa and suddenly they get very sick and so the system gets overwhelmed. So they can carry it even if they're not going to necessarily be flattened by it. I, I don't know. I, I look at the, what the WHO's uh, just come out with. They've, they've said that their PCR test, they've, uh, they've toned down the, I guess, the threshold of when you test positive for a test. And hey, surprise, surprise, all of a sudden now the test cases are going down. And a lot of the false positives are going down as well. I, I, I don't. I don't know. I've heard. I've heard somewhere that the um, that the definition of a pandemic is where at least seven percent of the population is uh, either sick or dying. I don't see any of that around me. To be honest with you, the, JP, I, listen. I, I hear I, a lot of fear out there. I hear a lot of uh, you know just numbers and cases. I mean, there's cases of the flu. What happened to the flu? Uh, well, JP, look, it, I, I got to run because I got a bunch of other calls. I really do appreciate you calling in, though, and I appreciate your thoughts. And, and look, you're not the only one, certainly, that has had those questions. Absolutely, you're not the only one, and I thank you for coming on. Let's go to Brian. And by the way, the number is 905-645-3221 or star 9900. Brian, how are you tonight? I'm good, Scott. How are you? I'm great, thank you. What do you think? Good idea, bad idea, best of a good, bad situation? What do you think? I think it's another case of extreme mixed messaging. I, okay. You know, everybody's saying we got to get the kids back in school. They got to be in school. They're they're falling behind. They're missing the the, the social ramifications of not being in school. All true. Uh, so they, rather than make a decision, they punt it down the road, and it's that's the risk. It, 
Brian, there's no question that's the risk because if we're going to get this third wave that we're hearing about and everyone's saying it's coming in April, this yep. is putting March break, April break right into the middle of it. Okay, and, and I understand, but I mean, this talk of the third wave is relatively new into the, and I know it's a fluid situation, but, you know, then I hear about the, you know, I'll get a lot of riffraff from this, the teacher saying, you know, hey, we, we need a break, we've had to make extreme adjustments, and we're just burned out. Well, I tell you, I am I was, uh, the business I'm in is classified as essential service. Well, hey, I'm burned out too. I've had to make a lot of changes. A lot of people say that. I never get a March break. I, a lot of people say that, Brian. A lot of people say that, and and I look, I, I believe you. I, I mean, I believe you that uh, that a lot of people are feeling that and, and don't have the break. Brian, I got to run because I got one more I got to get to. But thank you for calling sure. in today. Really appreciate it. Let's get to Fred. Fred is waiting patiently. Fred, how are you this evening? Not bad, Scott. Not bad. I'm glad I, you opened up the lights. They picked the wrong week in April. I'll tell you oh, why. Why is that? They should have the fifth to the ninth because. On April the 2nd, the school board both are off, public and Catholic, for Good Friday. And then uh, on the 4th is, good, is uh, Easter Sunday. And then on the 5th is Easter Monday. So they could have had that whole week off, just a little bit sooner, and then go back on the 12th. Hmm. Interesting point, and you would have... Interesting point. You would have saved at least a couple days of teaching in there. Interesting point, Fred. I hadn't thought of that. Thanks for pointing that out. I appreciate that. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. All right, let me bring in our good friend who just got off the air at CHCH TV, Bubba O'Neill. Just finishing up doing the sports. Sir, how are you tonight? How is, is Bubba there? Are you there? There we go. All right. Are you there? Technology is a beautiful thing, and sometimes it works. Yes, yes. Um, there, how are you? I, I'm currently bamboozled right now. I'm wondering if Uh-oh. we're under uh, we're under a nurse takeover. I mean, you're looking at these NBA games right now, and I turn on and I see Kia Nurse. Uh, she is now analyzing NBA games, and just as I return from my my stand on little t- on TV there for the news, I come back and I see Sarah Nurse. She's analyzing NHL games now on Sportsnet. What happens if Sarah Nurse has to analyze the play of Darnell Nurse? <laughs> That's going to be interesting. What kind? Of, well, I mean, look, he doesn't screw up too much, but what happens if he makes a terrible play that leads directly to a goal and they go back to her and say, what do you think about that? Yeah, and, she, what, and what if she's honest? How is that Thanksgiving dinner going? Well, I mean, well, I mean, that's going to be interesting because I guess that would be that would be the cousins there, right? So maybe they don't get there's no invite. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, COVID can get them off the get that out of the way, but yeah, it's uh, we are there is a there is a nurse takeover that uh, we're seeing, and 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 Kia was just in the news the other day because she just got traded in the WNBA from New York to Phoenix, which you know I know people love New York City, some people, but my goodness, what an upgrade that is going to Phoenix. Well, I don't even know about the teams. I'm just talking about the temperature. No, it's a tremendous upgrade. I mean, the team that delivered Liberty through the three years she was there, they have been god-awful. They've been you know, either second last or last every single year, and despite getting some uh, fantastic draft choices, including herself, the 2018 uh, first-rounder. So uh, she's off to a place that has won three championships. Uh, she gets to play with some exclusive veteran talent. Uh, so I think this is a great thing for her career, and um, I've only been there once, and it was uh, for a stopover. 
But I, I, for people that I know that have spent vacations there, I have heard nothing but outstanding things about the state of Arizona. At this point, when I look outside and it's dark at, I don't know, two o'clock or whatever it is now, and, and it's cold, and I don't, I don't care if the team she's going to has not won a game in 47 years. <laughs> if you want to trade me to Phoenix, I will pack up and be gone before you, my bag could hit the floor. I mean, it is, that is, that is fantastic for anybody. Now in the summertime, they don't play in the summer, but if she decides to stay, it does reach the temperature that's about four degrees hotter than the surface of the sun. So, you know, it, it flips a little bit, but, but you know, but it's okay. By. It's not like being in Miami with the humid heat. It's a nice dry heat in Phoenix. That's what they say. <laughs> I here, I mean, totally off topic. I almost grew up in Tucson, Arizona. Our what? family almost for my, for my dad's work, we almost, he went down there about four times for visits and to meet people. And we, he almost took a job and I would have grown up in Tucson, Arizona and probably would have been a cowboy by now or something. I don't know, a saguaro cactus trimmer. I'm not sure what I would have done. Um, but yeah, no, did, we've been there a few times and love it. I mean, I would, I would go to Arizona any day of the week, any day of the week. But what, what, what would happen at CHML and the spectator? So we did not with, with, like if you just didn't exist. It would be, I, I'm, I'm stuttering, I'm stammering and not because there's not a good answer because there's too many good answers. Would it be the Rick know which one. show? Absolutely. I mean, they would, they would change the name from CHML to CMRZ. Just everything, 24 hours a day of Rick. Anyway, uh, let me ask you something relative to nothing we've talked well kind of kind of because we're talking about key and nurse and going down and playing in the states and playing in phoenix i want to talk about basketball a little bit but not not just basketball it's a little story that we never got around to and we should have and it involves someone called courtside karen and it's a week or so old and i say i've wanted to get to it but i wanted to bring you on most people probably are familiar with what we're talking about, but for those who aren't, the Los Angeles Lakers with LeBron James were playing a game, and I don't even remember where the game was now. And in Atlanta, was it? Hmm, anyway, anyway, it they're playing on the road, and there are these two women that look like they were from the Real Housewives of Atlanta or something. Maybe that's why I thought of it. And they start getting on LeBron, and they're chirping him, and they're going after him, and they're verbally giving it to him. And at some point it got under his skin and eventually the two of them, and they were in courtside seats, were told to skedaddle and they became international celebrities because of this for good or for bad. But the question became, and I don't know what they said, as far as we know, they didn't say anything that was racist or anything that was, no. as far as I know, maybe I'm wrong, but I don't, I never heard that it was like that kind of thing. It was just really going after him. What should fans be allowed to do when you buy a ticket what sh how far should you be allowed to go as a fan well i mean this was an interesting case and i'll give lebron james a tremendous amount of credit because when interviewed at, at the end of that game you know it was because obviously became a topic of discussion in the press room um where but he said he enjoyed it like he said he talked about how much he missed having fans in the arena um 
And LeBron James is the kind of guy, um, you know, with his excellence and his history in the game where, you know, you have a tremendous amount of people that love you and a tremendous amount of people that don't like you, especially when you go to visiting or when you go to road arenas. So that's always going to be an issue. And he probably missed that. And I'm sure, you know, anytime you get that kind of negative um, booing, jeering, you, you, you tend to you get, you get turned on by it. I mean, I don't know too many professional players that, are, you know, all of a sudden are – become shy now to your question I, I i just don't know with today's society if you if the you know the doors are as open as they used to be you no obviously way. can't say anything racist and, and and again lebron said there was did say there was nothing racist said but it certainly was a verbal warfare going on the issue here uh, she's sitting courtside seats which maybe she feels she's a little bit privileged. She didn't have a mask on, which I think you were supposed to um, when you were at that courtside seat. So that was an issue. Um, you know, Scott, it's tough. I think you you got to be respectful. Like, you're watching the best pros in the league. Um, I think there's a line that, that, that can't be crossed. And you can't talk about someone's family. I mean, you want to say you're a lousy basketball player or you suck. Even that, I mean, you know, there's people in this city that think that the Argos suck chant should stop. So I, I, I don't Bob know. Young, Bob Young tried to get it stopped a long time ago. And then I think he eventually just sort of threw in the towel and said, look, I, I'm, this is a losing fight. I'm not winning this one. So not going to keep fighting this one, but uh, it, it is, it is a tricky question. I mean, what we would love, what we would love is if the people who were the loudmouths who were really going after the guys, and, and it's mostly guys they go after. I, I don't hear a lot of this at WNBA or you hear about it at WNBA or things like that. It's mostly guy athletes, but we would love it if the people who were doing the most screaming were all really creative and really funny. And then even the players who are getting back into it, it's like, okay, now it's a, now it's a, uh, an, an intellect contest and a, a comeback contest as much as it is just who can yell the loudest. And some of those ones, when it happens, they're hilarious. They're hilarious. The trouble is more often than not, it's just some sort of drunken buffoon who's just swearing obscenities. And that's the problem because I think, it, and this is where, you, you know, you talk about the quote, the line. I don't know about you, unless you're with your son or your daughter or with your family you know, especially if you're in a you know a bunch of guys going to the game, or a bunch of girls, a bunch of women going to the game, a bunch of boys going to the game. Well, I guess not boys and girls, but I'll say men and women going to the game. There's going to be alcohol involved, right? So, as we've seen in life, alcohol gives you some type of invisible freedom, <laughs> right, mm. with your mouth. And I think you're getting into some dangerous territory. Um, Again, other than booing, I, I just don't know if there's room anymore to go anything past that, Scott. Like, I hope there people is. People can be offended by, you know, we, we, we are in a society where people are offended by a variety of things now. And yes. you can be called out on that, right? Yes. And, and, and we don't always know. We don't always know what someone else is going to be offended by. You are absolutely by. We, correct. We right? know and, some of the things. Some are obvious. Well, some are obvious, it. but not everything. Sure. I mean, you look at look at what most recently happened here, right in this country. I think for many, many people, and I, many people I've talked to, and I'll use this, I'll use the name here, the, the word Edmonton Eskimos was not offensive to many people. I've talked to some actual, you know, to, to, to people of uh, of Indian descent, um, you know, Canadian Indian descent, and they were not offended by it. 
but there is a certain amount of the Inuit community that were offended by it. So now here we are. We're about a month away from the release of a brand new name, right? I would have keep. I, I would. I would keep saying Eskimos. I have to sometimes bite my tongue on air not to say that. But we're in a place now where, you know, you kind of have to watch what you say, and especially in public, because people can be offended. And I, and and you know, maybe that wasn't a serious thing five years ago, but it is a, a serious topic now. So I think you have to have some type of sensitivity. So this is why I say anything past cheering and booing or clapping and jeering, I just don't know how much far either you can go when you're sitting in your seats in a in a pro sports game anymore. Isn't that kind of sad though? And and look, I'm not when I say that I'm not I'm not arguing again for the drunken buffoon who's just screaming f bombs at the person and everyone around him has to spend the whole game listening to that. That's not what I'm talking about. But there is there is something. I don't know. There, there is something visceral or fun about being in a stadium, like in Buffalo for a Bills game, or now I've not been, but you watch and you see a, a Raiders game or other places in, in the dog pound in Cleveland for a Browns game where the crowd is intimidating because they go after the players. And there's some, there's a, it's, it's fun that the place is that wild. And as long as, you know, it stays as just screaming and yelling and saying but it stuff. It never does, though, Scott. And that's the problem. It rarely does. There's always one in a crowd in, in 10 that goes overboard. So how about a crowd of 50,000? How about a crowd of 20,000? There's always people that go over the line. And exactly like you said, there's always the drunk hatchet men that will not relent, that just keep on going. You know, bring a sign, boo, cheer, clap, boo. I'm okay with that. You know, and and I kind of see what you're saying, um, in the sense that it's you know that it's kind of sad in a way, but maybe it's kind of sad for only a generation or two, and that the other generations that are coming up in behind us don't find that entertaining. That could be. I mean, that could be, and, and you do wonder what what sports looks like. I mean, because uh, up until well, very recently, it's always been like you pay for a ticket, you get to do what you get to say what you want, and and. And I mean, one thing I've always had a bit of trouble with, and and again, just to be clear, I keep reiterating, but I don't want anyone to be confused by this. I'm not talking about racist stuff or homophobic stuff or anything like that. But, you know, for a professional athlete who's making 40 or $50 million a year, you know, there's a big part of me that says, unless it's really crossed the line, take it, suck it up, move along. Don't worry about it. You're going to go home to your... 25,000 square foot gold plated mansion with, you know, 57 bathrooms and whatever else. I think you can probably tolerate playing your game and letting someone who's had a bad day at the office come out and blow off some steam. Uh, but, that, but, but, you know, but, but I get it. I get it. But, but I don't know, Scott, like, because you've had a bad day that gives you a right to go blow off steam on an athlete. Like, I got to question that. Like, like, you know, like, yeah, okay, yeah, you put down your 250 for a ticket and you got a good ticket. And, yeah, you're sitting in a place where the player or the competitor could, could, could you know, can hear you. Well, I don't know. Would we think it, would, would we do that at a tennis match? Would we do that uh, at a golf course? No. We would never be Mo- able to. Not like most. That. Not most. But, but you know what? Most of the, okay, what about, now here's the example, and I don't know what courtside Karen was screaming about. Particularly, it probably wasn't this. In fact, I'm sure it wasn't this. But you've paid that huge money. You've you if you can like imagine a Leaf game, 
right now? Because most of us, first of all, you can never get a ticket if there was tickets because there's not right now. I know that, but let's say it was regular. You can't get a ticket. And if you can, you have to sell your kidney to get into scientific research to be able to afford it. If you go there and all of a sudden one of the players looks like he is entirely disinterested, who's making, you know, $200,000 that game, you know, I see why people get cranky and decide they want to scream and yell at these guys and call them names and everything else. Is it, is it, is it civilized? Probably not. Is it part of the experience of going to a game? Always has been. Should it continue? I'd like it to in some form, but I'm not sure it's going to. Again, I I think where we are right now, um, you know, as a society, uh, that 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 I think anything beyond booing, or you know, saying you know I, I can't stand you know the particular team, or I mean, I I think I think you I think the message comes across in a good boo, and a good hiss, um, and in, and in Europe, you know, clapping at the other team, right. Um, my my favorite one of all time was Duke University, which um, Cameron Cameron Arena, Cameron Pavilion. I can't remember what it's called now. Oh, the Cameron uh, Crazies, and they're known for not only being diehard fans. Duke Basketball University down in North Carolina. They're not known for not only being diehard fans, but for being very clever and for studying their opponents before they show up. And and this was in Sports Illustrated years ago. They got chewed out after a game because they had been too visceral. Mm-hmm. and the uh so they had somehow arranged this and i don't know how they did it because they 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 sleep in tents overnight on the ground so they can get in the day of the game and i guess they all sit around and talk and plan things whatever else the next game after their coach mike shashevsky had had to take the mic and tell them to settle down the game before the next game when the ref made a bad call they didn't scream they didn't boo they didn't say nasty things they whispered all together we beg to differ. We beg to differ. <laughs> and I thought that, that's the most hilarious. Now you gotta, you gotta have a lot of planning and a lot of people involved and, you know, a lot of other things that are going on, but it, you know, it, it's possible. I just don't know if it's possible at a professional game to arrange it. And, you know, at a tie cat game, when you got people coming in, ah, I don't, I don't see, I don't always see clever or, or a bills yeah. game or whatever. I don't see clever. I see visceral. I think, you know, the mob mentality can spread a message pretty quick, though. <laughs> I mean, um, but yeah, you're, you're right. And I think with that, with the Shashevsky thing at Duke, I think believe what happened there and what made him so upset was that the person that was getting booed was the head coach of the other team who was a previously a Duke assistant coach. I think that's how that went. So he felt a particularly, a particular, you know, kinmanship for his former assistant coach who, you know, who helped lead Duke to many, you know, national, maybe not national championship, but, you know, trips to the final four and, you know, victory after victory in that arena. And I think, you know, that kind of offended the coach at that point. It is, uh, it is one that I'm sure I'm positive. We'll be talking about this because think back, I will be talking about for, for a while. Think back to the 1970s, let's say, for those old enough to remember this, there was a time when if you went to a Leaf game, when you could get tickets once upon a time, you could take a sign and hang it from the wall behind the nets there when the railing where the rails were below the green or the blue seats there. You could hang homemade banners made out of bed sheets that said all kinds of stuff. And then that went away. And then the handmade signs went away. 
And then, as you say, now you've got to be more careful about what you say. And I, I, I agree with you. I mean, I think we're heading towards a time when probably we become very, very, very sensitive. And if you say something that someone's sitting in the same section or the same row as you takes issue with, they'll call over the person and have you kicked out. And, you know, I mean, offensive is offensive and no one is defending that. But what is offensive to one person is not necessarily to another, but it's going to make things very difficult to know where that line is. Yeah, that's a tough one. I said that's 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 for everyone's. Uh, I hate to say it because it really sometimes comes down to it, um, and the line is crossed several times. But it really will come down to the intelligence of of, of the fans. Um, you know, you you got to be able to think to yourself, well, no, this is acceptable and this is not acceptable. What I you know what I'm about to th- what I'm thinking of saying. But far too many times in life, we don't think before we speak. Or, we, or we're or we so loaded up with our liquid courage, looking looking a little bit like Tom Brady yesterday, only being a lot more offensive. I mean, I never knew avocado vodka could have such an effect. <laughs> yeah. He was a mess. He was, they had their, for those who don't know, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers had their Super Bowl victory celebration yesterday. And Tom Brady, now, Tom Brady lives a life where he won't eat anything that's impure. His diet is impeccable, everything else. And he was absolutely sloshed by the looks of it. But I, I, here's my thing. I'm not sure Tom Brady really drank a lot. I think he had about four sips of something, but because his body is running at such a high, high octane level, just four sips of the stuff threw him over the edge. Well, I I think he said that the, that the, the, the avocado, um, Vodka is <laughs> it, a disgusting good mix for the for the TB12 electrolyte juice. So. <laughs> I, avocado vodka may be the most disgusting sounding thing in the history of time. It really might. Anyway, I'm sure. I'm sure after that there will be by next week there will be a line of TB12 avocado vodka at the LCBO ready for you, and everyone can go buy it just like there was with Conor McGregor with the the proper twelve. Was it the called proper the proper twelve? 12? Yes. Yes. Yeah. The one, Tom Brady, look to, for, the one that he had to, the, the, what did he punch a man in the face because <laughs> he didn't want to drink his stuff? <laughs> look for Tom Brady avocado vodka at a store near you. Bubba O'Neill, always appreciate the time. Thanks for doing this. Thanks for having me. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML. Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.